0: This is Andy. Welcome back to another episode of The Sprinkler Nerd Show. So glad you could join us. Before we get started today, I wanted to mention that we have opened a private group on Facebook called Sprinkler Nerd, and this is a place that all of us as professionals can share our experiences, any tips that we might have, or if we're on a site and we're running into trouble, we might be able to bounce an idea off of the group and perhaps somebody else has also experienced the same thing and we can help each other out. So head on over to Facebook, search for sprinkler nerd, and you'll find the private group, answer a couple questions. We'll let you in and then we can continue to build relationships with each other and we'll see where this goes. So today I have something that is a little bit different to share with you guys. Because this show is dedicated to sprinklers and the irrigation industry, there's only so much we can really talk about sprinklers. So I'm going to change it up and we're going to have a different topic. And as this show progresses, my intent is to talk about different parts of the landscape industry that may have overlap into irrigation, but to also diversify our knowledge base and offer more learning opportunities for everyone. So today I've invited Kent Harris with the Minnesota Sodding Company to share his experience flying drones within their business. And I can tell you firsthand from my own experience that flying a drone is difficult, in fact, it's almost more frustrating than it can be fun. Now, Ken is a long standing irrigation veteran. He has a tremendous experience with all aspects of the landscape and irrigation industry, and he continues to push the limits with what is possible. So, let's jump in and do this. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Kent, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. Glad to have you with us today.
1: Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, Nice of you to ask me to join in, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, and you, you and I met in person about a month ago at a baseline training event, and then afterwards when we were having beers together, which is where the good stuff always happens. Uh, You started mentioning some things in your business that just kind of inspired me and and opened my eyes to some new innovations that we'll talk about uh, here on the show. But before we get started, you are with Minnesota Sod Company. Can you tell us what your job is and and how you got started in this industry?
1: Well, uh, I'm currently a manager at Minnesota Sod and Company, and I've been there for about three years now. I started back in 1978. Went to Lakeville High School here in Minnesota. And if you wanted a driver's permit to park your car to drive your car to school, you need to prove that you had a job. So I didn't want to ride that school bus anymore. I needed to have a job. So uh the first job I ended up getting with was with Mr. Rain Irrigation, a residential irrigation contractor, and that was after school you know, in the springtime of that year and then all summer long. And I just kind of stayed with him for about seven or eight years and awesome. uh, yeah, worked pulling pipe with a pipe Piper and, and just start a crew person and kind of worked up to Foreman and also his service guy, we handled kind of Southern Minnesota. He had these little Datsun pickup trucks and we, uh, I flew all over from uh, town to town and put quite a few miles on. Uh, He's kind of stayed out of the cities for the most part, and uh, we hit some of the smaller towns where there's irrigation, so got to do quite a bit there. Went on to a company called Natural Green, who was a bigger commercial uh, irrigation and landscape company in the Twin Cities, and worked for them, starting out as a service tech, and then got promoted up to irrigation foreman and and we got involved in some pretty cool, pretty big projects. It was one of the premier companies at the time. So the landscape crew would work alongside the irrigation crew and I got to meet the and get to know and be friends with the landscape foreman pretty well and then I kind of got a landscape bug in me and started learning plant material and how and why they were doing the things they were doing and ended up at one point, was they called it a super foreman job where I actually ran an irrigation crew and a landscape crew at the same time. I was the one foreman for two. Did that for a little bit. And then I ended up getting an opportunity, a guy that was closer to my house, who was a vendor of ours, Hartman Tree Farm, wanted to start up as doing some landscaping and wanted to start an irrigation division. So he asked me to come on over and join his company and start an irrigation division for him. So I did that, and I was there for about, oh, I guess it was nine years or so. Uh worked with those guys, great family, nice small business, a good tight-knit group, and uh, learned more about bidding and the business side of it a little bit, or learned you know, how, how little I knew about the business side of it, maybe, at that point. And then I got an opportunity uh, from a guy who hired me originally at Natural Green slash Arteca. They kind of had two different names. And he wanted to be, uh, they became a Valley Crest branch. And he asked me if I would become their business developer, which he asked me when it was the time of the year in Minnesota, when you did not want to be out in the field, it was the beginning of November and it was wet and muddy and cold and freezing. And I thought an office job sounded like a pretty attractive deal. Absolutely. yeah. So I, uh, I, I rolled the dice and thought I'd try sales. My, my good friend, Scott Johnson, who hired me kind of told me it was more of a, a client management job that, you know what we got, our, our work just kind of comes in the door. You're going to take some guys to some hockey games and some football games and keep the plans rolling in. You'll be great at it. You'll love it. And that sounded great. And, uh, maybe he, Maybe he candy coated the position a little bit. <laughs> yeah, those are only really the good parts. He wasn't going to tell you. Yes, yes. Work. It turned out to be a lot more pounding the street, looking for work, trying to keep, and they were at the time, a, you know, a 3 to $5 million landscape company, trying to keep that monster fed with work in front of them. Uh, and then the big when, boards, calling on estimators, right? Yes. Uh, it, so that was, that was a challenge. And then Valley Crest ended up selling the the branch back to the original owner uh dave loose and Stuart hansen and uh so then we became back under private ownership again and i ended up for 14 years being their business developer trying to find more ways to to, to bring work in the door our competitors were getting better and and uh i mean it was we were kind of the the premier company in town, but I'd say that all the guys who were chasing us did a pretty good a cha- job of chasing us and, and caught us. Uh, um. And you know, then the market goes to crap, and <laughs> and you're beating the bushes trying to find work. So then we got into some hardscape stuff, and we started doing green roofs, and we did a few green walls, and uh, that kind of really broadened my horizons on a bunch of different things that were possible. Um, and it was just you Know at at the end of 14 years, uh, Stuart Hansen decided that he wanted to go a different direction and I wasn't going to be invited along, and uh, so there I was on the streets looking for a job. And, and uh, Minnesota Sodding Company had been a great, uh, a great vendor, a subcontractor for Arteca and uh, I always liked those guys. I talked to, to Tom Grow, Tom and Dana Grow. Dana owns the company, Tom, her husband, uh, kind of is a guiding force behind it to talk to those guys and and um i decided that i wanted to join with them um and they had some really neat ways of looking at business and and that's where i'm at right now they've kind of just set me free to do a little bit of the business development stuff that i was doing uh, there's some things that i thought that would work well for them when i came on with some prairie they do a lot of prairie seating but they didn't do the maintenance so i'm kind of helping with getting the Prairie Division uh, going uh, a little farther. They do a lot of sports fields. Uh, we get on some awesome projects uh, for laying sod. Uh, we've been on, I've been in uh, the Detroit Lions practice facility and the uh, St. Paul Twins and the St. Paul Saints here. We were at Tigers, uh, Detroit Tigers, Comerica Park, Michigan oh, wow. State Spartan Field. Yeah, I mean, so we've, we've rolled out big roll sod in some really cool spots. Uh, so that's been really neat. At first, I was yeah. A we could have with, a
0: whole uh, conversation just about that.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that. You, you get your you get into Comerica Park and you're looking around at the history and you're looking at, at the at what's going on and it, it it you get goosebumps. You know, yeah. uh, there I am on a crew laying sod, but I'm like, what an awesome place, the Spartan Stadium. Uh, just an awesome place to be. So, you know, some of my some of the people I'd known for years when I decided to take on with a sodding company, they kind of wondered what the heck I was going to be doing there. And uh, and that would be kind of boring for me. And it's been quite the opposite. Uh, we've done a lot of really cool things at Minnesota Sodding. And, and uh, the growth is fast and uh, the, the, the girls have a real entrepreneurial spirit in their real encouraging to everybody so it's been uh it's been yeah and of course
0: irrigation is a big part of athletic fields and having that background it's awesome for you to have
1: well what was weird is i kind of thought i was abandoning my irrigation roots you know i I, i'm a certified irrigation contractor through the ia uh, and i got my low voltage electricians license. And I kind of walked away from that just to go to a sod company because they really had nothing to do with irrigation. And then you get here and you start looking around going, hey, there's irrigation issues all around us. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody wants some help with that. So it, out of nowhere in the last couple of years, we've picked up a little bit of irrigation work. I've done a little bit of consulting stuff and, and really looking forward to where we might go with this. Uh, and that 's some of the things that me you have talked about over beers is 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 the new technology and and, and what 's going on with moisture sensors and with drone mm-hmm. flights and NDVI and all that so yeah, yeah and I, I think
0: know. Um, you know ben's had uh, had his hands on uh, baseline product and managing and monitoring uh, soil moisture sensors. And been really utilizing the data and it might be nice at some point to we can jump back on and talk to I can talk to Ben about his experience from being kind of green and new to using that type of technology to where he is now where you guys are in a really quick amount of time and maybe some of the Opportunities ahead as a, as a company to utilize that um, So let's move yeah. into you know where what's what sparked my interest was this uh, conversation about drones, and I don't remember exactly how it came up, but somewhere you know we we moved our conversation when we were having beers over to some of the experimenting and implementation that you're doing with drone work.
1: Yes, uh, the the uh, Minnesota and company had already started uh, the drone; they had dipped their toe into the drone world. They had just bought an NDVI Phantom Four uh, equipped with a near infrared sensor on it, and their thought was that uh, with this, with the NDVI imaging that you can get through this near infrared sensor, that they could fly um, big tracks of turf and see health issues, which could be moisture related, could be soil related, could be disease related. And with the with the near infra, near infrared sensor, find problems before they become great big problems, and and you know the stitch in time saves nine. We get to mm-hmm. solve the problem cheaper because we're fixing it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that was the thought process they had, and then they said, "Hey, why don't you get your uh, Part One Hundred Seven license?" And which two guys, three guys, had already had that within the company. And, and see where we can go with this drone stuff. And so, what is that? Uh, what
0: is a part 107
1: license? That's a federal, it's a, it's a license to be a commercial flyer. If you fly for money, you need to be licensed uh, and, and you need to be insured, which, you know, a lot of, you can go to any store and buy a drone and throw it in the air and, and the way you go. Yeah, uh, I have one and I it, still can't fly it because it's hard as hell to fly a drone. <laughs> you practice. Yes. So that's, it, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, kind of first is what was it like the first day or first time you flew this drone?
1: Well, it was, it, it, crash? So it was, it was, decei- it was deceiving uh, because we flew autonomously. So we would set up a program flight because we we're flying big tracks of, of properties and we would, so you set the program up uh, in the app that you're flying in, you hit the go button. The drone goes up to the set height. It flies the with the proper overlap, with all these pictures going to be stitched together to produce one image, both an NDVI image and then also a the RGB, their red, blue, green image. So it was easy. You just learn how to set this, the parameters of your flight, hit the go button, and go. Uh, and that was no problem at all. And then I started you know, it's winter in Minnesota and there's not too much to do and there's the internet. So I started looking and I'm like, how am I going to call myself a professional drone pilot if I don't know how to actually fly a drone? You're just pushing a button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So I started looking at these YouTube videos of how these guys are, hey, I just unboxed my my Phantom 4. Here I go. And I'm like, well, if these guys can fly it. I can fly it. Uh, and... Tom Groh and Dana had just taken off for a vacation in Florida. And they said, this is an expensive drone that that sensor, you know, at the time we picked that thing up, it was about a $4,000 drone and they're like, yeah. under no circumstances should you be flying that, uh, without, without it being, uh, autonomously flown. And, and then, so I started thinking, I I can do this. <laughs> so I uh-uh. took it out and I, oh yeah, I, I took it to a friend's nursery and uh, we flew around that and i filmed uh you know i did some video of uh of the whole setup and the, it's got a 4k camera on it the results are fantastic i'm just giddy with all these things i can do you know so i'm excited the next thing we talked to a a tree service and they're like can you fly that up by the canopy of a big tree and then inspect the tree with that i'm like although i i think we can do that easily so we found a great big tree And I ran it up the side of the tree. And here's where it got a little dicey. Uh, When you go up with a drone, uh, the forward, backward, left, and right, the right hand stick is good until you twist that drone on the axis. And now everything's crazy, which I learned that the hard
0: way. (laughs) Left is right, Uh,
1: right is left, and back is front. Right. Back. Exactly. so I, I I had a guy there with me and he goes, you're getting pretty close and that wind's blowing. And I'm like, I'll back out of here. Well, I thought I was backing out of the tree. I ran straight into the tree. And yes. if you've ever got a weed whip stuck into a chain link fence, it makes a real similar noise as when you run your drone into the, the branches oh of an gosh. oak tree. Oh, and there was propeller parts flying everywhere. And I see this drone kind of like a Plinko game. Flipping back and forth through the branches of the tree. Did you catch and I dropped it? the controller, and I ran, and I dove, and I caught it off the ground. Oh, and you did! Near, no kidding, I caught it. But the new, but the the near infrared sensor is hanging by wires out of its mounting, and I'm like, oh, huh. I was told specifically, don't do this. For this exact reason, and I did it, and I smashed it, and I, uh, so I'm just in panic, you know, this is my new employer, I've been working here six months.
0: It's just Uh, money,
1: it's just money. (laughs) But uh, the near infrared was fine, it was just, it was rubber, it was on some rubber mounting, so they just popped out, I popped them back in. No problem. Went online. Propellers were like 12 bucks or nine bucks for a new set of propellers. I ordered those and had them shipped in. And, uh, the toughest part was just telling everybody what I had done. Uh, well, at least <laughs> you did
0: that. It's not like, uh, driving dad's car into a light post and fixing it before they come home <laughs> from vacation.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it felt similar to that, but, yeah. uh, so, uh, so that was cool. It scared me a little bit from flying it, but not now I've since been flying because we use the drone now for some. We want to do some promotional video for our website and LinkedIn page and all that other stuff. So we're the cool projects we're on and the cool equipment we're buying. Having this uh, drone, being able to film it, is awesome. So I'm just starting to, you know, I've I've probably done five or six flights where it's actually I'm trying to video uh, our equipment working or our guys working or the site that we're on. and uh, Okay. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun. The part 107 is the legal, you got to get that license. You have to pass that, uh, to do it professionally. I think a lot of people don't do, go through that step. Um, you know, which they're technically breaking up. If you're not getting paid for it, you don't need to have it. But if you're doing okay. it commercially, uh, then you then you need to have.
0: That. And so for those that you know, I'm not a drone expert at all. And I when I fly my drone, I notice a couple things because uh, here in Traverse City where I live, the airport is so close to to downtown, and and I don't live but a couple miles away. That I live in a semi restricted area, mm-hmm. and then my drone can't fly out of a certain boundary. It's it's um, government even
1: let it go up, right?
0: So, so what yeah. are some other things that people need to look out for if they're going to go fly a drone? Where do you start, and how do you know you're able to, and how do you get
1: started uh, with that? Boy, that, 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 you really should have somebody else as an observer with you and get into the biggest wide-open space you can get without anything else around, because somehow you'll get into it. Uh, I mean, we, some of the first things that we flew, uh, and we had a couple, we had a project, uh, the Minneapolis Sculpture Garden, and we were really proud of it, and we wanted to, but the the prairie was just growing in and we just saw a whole bunch of stuff so we flew the drone and we got images of it i flew that autonomously sent it up but there was next the parade stadium is next to it and they've got great big light poles so how tall are those you know so i want to be above those but i don't want to be too high you can't go over 400 feet but so i wanted to be you know you're guessing as how high you should be on those lights there was an apartment building that was fairly close that was higher than the lights. Okay. I don't want to go too far outside the boundary. So I nervously put this plan together. And I send the drone up and it's probably two thirds of the way through its flight. And out of nowhere comes a medevac helicopter that's going to land oh, at HCMC medical center, two blocks away. And he goes right over the top of the park. Now he. L- he looked closer than he was, and the drone was off to the side of the park. So there wasn't a collision course thing, but my heart just. Uh, yeah, yeah, I bet you pounding. had some butterflies <laughs> there for a few minutes. Oh, I did not want to make the news by knocking a Medivac helicopter out of the air with this drone. But uh, uh, So an open field, a golf course, something where, you know, see where the trees are at, get above them, and then just start playing around with it. It's Real similar to learning how to run a backhoe. I mean, at first it seems awkward clunky, and then once your brain kind of gets an idea that if you move things one way or the other, that the drone acts one way or the other, it's it's not that hard uh, until you all of a sudden get things you can hit, and then mm-hmm. it gets harder. <laughs> how um, but, uh, how long does
0: the battery life last, or how long are your typical
1: flights a battery will, on our drone will last about twenty minutes. Now it's kind of preset for at about thirty percent, it heads back home, uh, and then I, see. I have four batteries, and we bought another. Uh, we bought the next newer, the, a newer version of the Phantom Four that's got a little bit better camera, but it doesn't have the NIR sensor on it, so it's about a thousand bucks. Uh, so that's our practice trainer that we fly. That you're allowed to fly uh, in trees is what you're saying. Yeah. That, that's the one that we prefer to run into the trees. <laughs> uh, but uh, so we got a battery with that and we had three extra ones. So, so if I fly an 80 acre or a hundred acre uh, property, I'll go through three batteries, you know, three, uh, depending on the temperatures and the wind and whatnot. I mean, it, it, uh but but it's pretty okay, cool right so for an, an hour flight you're running through three batteries yeah yeah i mean 20 yeah i think 20 minutes is probably uh who is what the, the manual will tell you you can fly but you mm-hmm. know if we start flying in 35 degree or 40 degree weather then that changes quite a bit if you're bucking a wind the whole way that'll change a little bit
0: okay and then, you know, if, if I remember right, we, we talked about a couple areas where you guys are using them. And my notes um, say that you're maybe using them to measure soil volume. Is that right?
1: Well, yeah, we learned this through. So I kind of have a partner, uh, a company called Sentera out of uh, Minneapolis here. And they work in the, they're in the ag field and they have, customers all over the world and they they're the ndvi image guys and and they do all the stitching and all that stuff together so uh those guys are kind of my mentors as to you know how to who i can bump things off of and and ask questions for Mm -hmm. and they told me that you know if you fly in two different directions you can create a 3d image uh and then you can actually volumetrically measure uh things and uh i'm like "Oh, that's interesting and then we had somebody uh tom grow was talking to somebody one night uh having dinner and they owned a gravel pit they were an asphalt company and they said we'd love to have you guys fly and give us an inventory uh of what we have in our gravel pits uh so for the last two and a half years, we've gone out and flown four different pits for them, and you just set up the set the parameters of the flight, and it flies back and forth, and it just takes all these different. It knows where it is in the world, and then it knows how high uh, from where the picture is being taken to where the drone is, and and it runs. They run it through an algorithm, and it and it will actually produce a three D. I mean, it's crazy. Hmm. They'll send me an image through a 3D viewer and I can actually see my pickup truck in the pit and I can roll sideways so I can look at the horizon and I can see the mirrors sticking out of the side of my pickup truck on this 3D image produced with a drone. Yeah, from 250 feet in the air. Uh, Maybe we need to turn some sprinklers on, see what that looks like. (laughs) I mean your head just starts spinning like how can you the hard part for me Andy is to try to stay focused you know uh, I don't want to be try to be everything to everybody how do we stay within the sodding business and use our drone I mean that helped generate some income to help pay for all the drones and whatnot but uh, you know our original plan to find stress turf uh, we've had two of the wettest years back-to-back that Minnesota's ever had, and you can't find stressed turf. Right. <laughs> here. Can, can it show uh, you the, uh, diseased turf? Certainly, yeah. It okay. can sh- show you that, and we can we can show if pe- if we do a big seed job, we can take monthly flights, and they say, this seed's not coming in. You can actually say, well, here it was six weeks after we planted it here it is a month later here it is a month later and through the imaging both both the the red blue green image and the the ndvi image you can see the 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 turf you know thickening up and growing so that kind of helps um you know one of the thoughts we had was we do a lot of top dressing and uh of sports fields uh, if a guy, if we do a baseline image and then we do that process and then every year we take a different image and you can show that the field is healthier and the turf is thicker, uh, you the, the the turf manager can justify his budget. You know, he doesn't have to sit at his boss's desk and go, no, the field looks a lot better now than it used to. And, and if his boss says, no, it doesn't. Uh, where does the argument go? <laughs> you're kind right. of, Follow you're kind of data. stopped right there.
0: Look at the data. Yeah.
1: If you, if you whip out three different pictures of the last three years and you can show that the turf is healthier and thicker uh, through that uh, NDVI image, then they go, Oh, wow. Hey, maybe it is worth doing that, uh, that top dressing or that, that airification uh, process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's been more of a door opener and a tool that we use rather than a standalone business mm-hmm. uh, at this point. But every day is a new day. I mean, we keep trying to find different things for it all the time. Yeah, it's um, important to stay up
0: on these kinds of things. And um, kind of as it relates to irrigation, do you think that we could, you could use this kind of technology to work towards doing as-builts?
1: I I think, well, yeah, yes. Uh, I think you could, I think you could probably use it for irrigation audits to a certain extent, uh, and just show the need for an audit. Maybe, uh, if you had some really dry times, it would show, it would certainly show lacks in coverage. Uh, you know, cause you would see the patterns of irrigation heads and you'd be able to- Right. Like when you're flying
0: into say Los Angeles and you look out of the plane,
1: you see all that stuff. So I guess it might be to that- but, uh, for, for as built, I'm, and, and I just started playing with this. There's a program out there. It's a free program, uh, QGIS, QGIS, uh, and it's now you, so what I'm basically doing with that drone is I'm creating, and I just learned this word, so I'm all proud of it. A geo-referenced ortho photograph. Wow. So that's a fancy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a $10 word right there, isn't it? Uh. So I can, that picture knows where it is in the world. So I flew a college campus here and I've just kind of stumbled into this. And uh, I opened it up in that program and I can scale anything from where I can zoom in and out and the scale is always accurate. And I go, what? How is that? <laughs> How does that work? You know, this this photograph is smarter than I then it's just a, a blank, a flat image. So now if you're doing as-built and you have this geo-referenced ortho photograph, uh, and you, it, I mean, you could get pretty specific and geolocate every head, every valve, the main line, put it on a live photograph like that, and mm-hmm. now you've got something that, you know, is an actual live working document. Where So it maybe it human. would be... A- just thinking out loud, it would be a combination
0: of two tools. One being what you just mentioned, taking this um, geo-referenced ortho photograph. Did I say that right? You did, nice ortho photograph. <laughs> and yeah. then using a uh, as accurate as you can afford GPS unit in the field to map your uh, all the devices, if you will, and pipe and everything, and then put those coordinates onto the geo-referenced ortho photograph. And now you have what you said a a, an as-built in-space reference on that picture
1: yeah you could technically give a work order that tells the guy to go exactly to a you know it would give it a latitude longitude location to i need you to fix zone 22 here's the location and the guy should be able to look at his phone and walk right to it um uh, you know and anything you know if you've seen a pair of service techs out trying to find a valve box that's been soldered over uh, and they spend a half a day trying to find it, you know, wire locators help. There's certainly other technologies and and some kind of just smart guys know how to find these things, but uh, it it can be a huge time saver. The guy who will have a picture of something is important, you know,
0: because I think if you follow GPS coordinates, it's kind of like walking in the dark, but if you
1: actually have a picture of where this is supposed to be, you can connect the dots on it find it yeah Uh the, the guy who I, I flew this uh, college campus for has a dream of drawing a multi-layered uh, as built of all his facility which could have these areas need to be mowed with a push mower these sidewalks need sodium chloride rather than regular salt due to the the landscape around it or the type of concrete it is uh, these are my trees uh, geo located uh, and you could say, hey, this is a, an oak planted in, in 1954, or and the last time it was deep root fertilized was this time. I mean, now you can just stack and pack your as-built of your facility with, uh, I mean, I think the data would be limitless as to what you could keep track of.
0: Yeah, um, and it's interesting so, to think of it as stacked because I think now if there's a if there's any documents, they're not stacked. They just live in their own places. You might have a CAD file here, and you've got a master plan drawing over there, but none of the data is overlaid and stacked um, or on a timeline. Here's a picture from
1: right. 2001. Here's a picture from 2021. Exactly, yeah. So now this gives me – okay, so now this drone image I can produce – this is more valuable now. I just have to teach guys how to use it, or what you would do with it. Uh, so that's it'll be a long winter in Minnesota. So Kent's got a book, and he's going to start reading <laughs> and to at least get fluent enough in it so I can explain some theory. Uh, I, I wouldn't claim to be the the geo map builder at all, but I now that I know that there's possibilities, and I can start to try to f- seek out people a lot smarter than I am. I can at least put together a scenario where we could produce something that's pretty helpful for, you know, we get involved with big facilities. So this is not a residential thing or anything like that. I mean, I don't see the, I don't see the value in it there, but if you start having a a 3M corporate campus or, you know, a place at Fort Snelling national cemetery or something like that, where this kind of information would be really valuable uh, then maybe, then maybe we're on something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you don't know unless you get started. And you know probably 99% more than most anybody listening to this. And just by getting in the game, flying a drone, trying it, you will learn over time. And then a year from now, uh, you may think you're not an expert, but gosh, you are You know, quickly becoming one for sure it's well, it,
1: it, yeah the vo- and the drone flying it's it's all about hours running it you know we've got a guy here tom rudberg who works with me and he was flying it before i got on board and then i kind of took it over and we both flew together and then he went his way he hasn't flown it in a year and a half well it's like starting from scratch again but once you get I mean if I don't fly the drone for 2 months and I there's updates on all the apps and and you you got to update the drone it it, it, it it's hard to yeah. get back in the saddle again you know uh, a guy who's flying 3 days a week uh, is probably really good and really smart and knows a lot about drone stuff. Um, right. Absolutely. And I'm I'm not that guy at all but uh, but it, it's sure a cool tool. Uh we've had a lot of fun with it and you know, what's nice been working with at uh, Minnesota sodding company is that they, they kind of give you the freedom to go, Hey, I don't know, go out and see what you can figure out. And, uh, mm-hmm. so that's been, that's been the rewarding part. Awesome. Good,
0: good. Well, if somebody wants to learn more about Minnesota sodding company, what, uh, what is your company
1: website? Uh, we're, uh, our, our company website is Minsodco. I'll spell it out: m n s o d c o dot com. Okay. Um and we're we're a woman owned union company, and and uh, the bulk of our work is uh, we're a commercial sod and seed installer working on big commercial projects here in the Twin City area. Uh, We do travel with our sports field division and the maintenance is getting bigger, but uh, we do synthetic, uh, synthetic turf maintenance. We've picked that up in the last year and a half or so uh, because a lot of our customers needed help. They had 15 natural turf fields and one synthetic field and didn't know what to do or or the proper maintenance things on it. So we just said, well, we already got the Rolodex. Uh, Maybe we should learn something on it. So we hired a, an expert, uh, to, to take up, uh, that part of it. So it's, it's pretty exciting over here. We're doing all kinds of crazy stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, glad, uh, you could share your, some stories today and, uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you as, as we, uh, move along with, uh, more drones and, um, yeah, let's, let's keep in touch on this, Ken. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome. It, it's fun to have the conversation. I enjoyed having beers the other day and I hope we have some more the next time you're in town. Oh,
0: absolutely. Let's plan on it. Very good. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Ken. Talk to you yep. later. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that conversation with Kent Harris and his drone experience. I wanted to mention that we are starting a new private group or a private community on Facebook. It's the Sprinkler Nerd group. You can search for it on Facebook. The group is private, so there will be a couple questions at the beginning to make sure that you are, in fact, in the irrigation industry before we open the door. And the group is a place where we hope to share tips and tricks and pictures and videos and be able to learn from each other in a place that's helpful, inspiring, and a place where we can make additional friends and share all of our experiences from coast to coast. And as always, we'd love to have your feedback on iTunes. If you haven't done so already, feel free to leave us a comment and we look forward to reading and responding to all of the feedback. I think that basically wraps it up guys. Thanks so much for joining us again. And until the next episode, happy sprinkling and we'll talk to you soon.